What makes good sex good? <laughs> ah, great. The, the, the golden question. Trust and patience and talking. I wasn't scared to communicate what I wanted, and neither was she. Listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Peak, the talk show about what makes good sex good. I'm your host, Robin Wheelock, and today I have a quick announcement before we get started. Um, I have recently released a Patreon account for The Peak, which means that if you have it in your heart and in your budget to support us right now, you have the option to do so. Um, I'm setting up a goal for myself and for our listeners. Once I am able to reach 20 patrons of any amount, I will double the creative output for you guys, which means one episode a week instead of only two episodes a month. And I think that that is something that would benefit everyone right now. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by K.L. Crow, a licensed professional counselor and ASEC certified sex therapist and sex therapist supervisor. How are you today, Kay? I'm very well. And how are you? I'm doing fine. Good. Um, so in addition to the brief bio I just gave of you, um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Certainly. Well, I'm an LPC. I've had a private practice in San Antonio focusing on sex therapy for the last 30 years. Um, I teach human sexuality at the University of the Incarnate Word. I'm part of another podcast called Night Moves on KSYM. Um, I also give talks around the community quite frequently. I like to say that, that I've met everybody in San Antonio or they've heard me speak. Um, I'm involved in all, all kinds of different aspects of sexuality. It is my passion, that's for sure. Awesome. So what can you tell us about ASECT? ASECT stands for the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. It's the only national organization that uh, creates a standard of training for people in the sexuality field. And so I became certified in 2004 I, I really think it is important for people to um, go through training and ASEC. The ASEC training is um, different in that it's not just education, supervision, you know, you're jumping through hoops. It's also um, part of the process. You're required to look at your own biases around sexuality, which are so important because everybody has them. You know, every, I'd like to call them your edges. What are you comfortable working with and what are you not comfortable working with? Um, and that's part of the certification as well. Wow. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So what inspired you to become a sex therapist? Well, I actually was uh, licensed in, let's see, 1993. And I noticed that when I worked with couples, they would never bring up sexuality. However, if I brought it up, 
it was like the floodgates opened and I learned so much more about them as individuals and as a couple. And so I really wanted to specialize and, and I couldn't think of anything more interesting than in specializing in, in sex therapy. And once I started the process of getting certified, it's like the dominoes just fell into place and all these doors opened. And um, I knew it was my niche. I knew I was, it was where I was supposed to be. What are the joys and challenges of working as a sex therapist? Well, um, the joys are certainly that, um, you know, helping a couple that's kind of stuck around a sexual situation and, and seeing movement there and seeing change and having them look at each other in a very different way and learn something about each other. A big part of sex therapy is providing sexual education, which few Americans typically get. And so um, I think it's enlightening for people to learn about not just sexuality in general, but their sexuality and then being able to share that with a partner. There's always an inherent joy in that, at least to me. Um, the challenges would be that because American culture has always looked at sexuality like this is just my own little personal history lesson here. You know, we were founded by some very conservative individuals who founded this country and from the beginning, they took sexuality and they pinched it off and put it in the basement, I like to say. Like, and you don't want to go in the basement, and we don't talk about that. It's an indelible part of life, but it's still separate, okay? And what I'm trying to do with couples is to take what has been in the basement for many people because of how they were raised or the religion they were raised in or the environment they were raised in, I'm trying to get them to bring it out of the darkness into the light. And the challenges are mostly around the trauma that people have around sexuality, the shame, the judgment. There's so much heaviness, um, usually because of trauma around sexuality. And that's extremely challenging. And I really don't think anybody can work in the sexuality field without also being a trauma-informed therapist. I think that you're definitely right about that. I yeah. Think that's very smart. What does a typical day in the life of a sex therapist look like? Well, I mean, I can't speak for other sex therapists, but there is no typical day for me. Um you know, I might see a few clients and I might have class that day. Um, I might be write on, writing an article. Um, maybe I have a presentation that night. It's, it's, it's quite varied. Um, and I've always tried to, you know, instead of uh, only doing private practice or only, only doing teaching, I've tried to keep it um, very, mixed up a, a lot of different activities. I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, I enjoy being self-employed and I want to do that as long as I can. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, if I know I have a presentation that night, I typically don't do anything in the morning because um, I, I just don't have the energy to go from eight o'clock in the morning and to eight o'clock at night. So um, it's hard to say. There's there's really no typical day. No. Are there any common misconceptions about sex therapy that you would like to clarify for us? Absolutely. I do not have a, a mattress in my therapy room. Okay. I've had people who make that assumption that some type of sexual activity is going to go on in my office. And that is not the case. We discuss sexuality. I provide education. I might have videos, not porn, but I might have videos to help you learn about anatomy or positions or whatnot. But there's no sexual contact between me and my clients. Absolutely not. Beyond beyond a handshake, although not right now. Um, <laughs> and few, few therapists, including sex therapists, are seeing people in person right now. Um, so people tend to assume there's sexual activity in sex therapy, and there's not. People also tend to assume that a sex therapist is kind of a freak or a pervert or maybe they're voyeurs and that couldn't be, be further from the truth. Most sex therapists are just very open-minded, um, empathic people who find, much to their surprise, that they're comfortable with sexuality I was raised in a very conservative Baptist environment. And if you had told me that I would end up being a sex therapist, you know, everybody in my family would have laughed. Um, but here I am and, and I've really enjoyed it. And it's, it's a, a wonderful career. It's not for everybody, but it's, it's really a good fit for me. How has the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic affected your practice and your work? Well, of course, um, you know, we've been advised by our our boards and organizations to avoid meeting people in person. And um, I, I have had adhered to that for the most part. Some clients are comfortable with uh, telehealth and other clients are like, no, I'd, I'd rather just wait until I can see you in person. Um because I think there is something um, to be said for that face-to-face contact that, that people really, really need. And especially around sexuality, if I am in one location and my client is in the other, I'm not sure, I, I can't control that the environment they are in and they may not have much control of their own privacy. So maybe is somebody listening at the door, is somebody listening through the wall, um, it's, it makes it difficult for them to really feel comfortable unless they're in a closed door room with me. Um, so s- some clients want to put off uh, therapy and that's understandable. Um, I also supervise other therapists who are becoming um, certified sex therapists. And it's kind of a trickle down, you know, some of their clients have stepped back from therapy because of the pandemic. And if they don't have clients, then they don't have cases to talk about in supervision. And so that can make them back off of the supervision process. Mm -hmm. 
And um, this semester, it just so happened I was teaching both of, both sections of my human sexuality course online. Um, so I didn't have to make the, tra- the transition to online that most professors did. Um, but there was still quite a disruption around spring break for a lot of students. So I part of the reason I decided to invite you onto the show, um, I'd been planning to invite you for some time. And then with the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic, mm-hmm. I got thinking about all of the different situations that people are in. Every Most people, if they are following the advice of the World Health Organization, are self-isolating in their homes with their families or by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um And I was curious about ways that people in different situations can remain connected to one another emotionally and sensually and sexually. Um, So I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for couples at this time who are cohabitating? Mm, Okay. Well, of course, they they need to know that both of them are, are healthy and well. That, that helps. And um, the, the advice around this seems to uh, change on a daily basis. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I may be reading some other things that, that you're reading. Um, but as long as both parties are healthy, they are recommending that it's okay to stay. It's okay to be sexually active. It's okay to do um, whatever you're interested in doing but only do it with the person that you're cohabitating with. Mm-hmm. If you're used to having other partners or if you participate in sex work, you may want to think twice about that mm-hmm. um, simply because you don't know where people have been um, or if they've uh, self isolated after, you know, for two weeks after taking a trip or, or whatever. But in terms of being connected, I think the biggest challenge for, for couples who live together is going to be they're around each other too much. And, you know, for, for really fiery sex to happen, as Esther Perel says, fire needs air. You know, a relationship needs space. And we don't have a lot of space right now. Um, so can you coexist in separate rooms? And uh, maybe you've, you've planned a date a particular night and so, you know, just make sure you don't you, you don't spend a lot of time around each other that afternoon. You know, something like that. Um, that may be the best way to do it if one person can take a drive. And because I think that that time apart and it's not just time apart. It's a level of differentiation is important in any couple relationship. When you're when you're joined at the hip and there's this interdependence, it can make um desire difficult so there has to be some some level of individuation you know for for sex to remain interesting now that being said it's important to understand that this in this global health crisis when when people are concerned about their very survival whether it's health wise or financial wise they're probably not going to be that interested in sex. It's, it's just a given. 
evolutionary biology tells us that, you know, animals are not going to stop and, you know, get it on when they're being chased by a predator. And a lot of us feel that way right now, you know, kind of hypervigilant, anxious, uncertain, what's going to happen. So, you know, some people deal with stress by going to sex, whereas other people are like, oh, that's the last thing on my mind right now. You know, I've got all these other things to worry about. So it's it's important to recognize that partners who live together, they may have different needs. You know, if, if you really don't want to participate in sexual activity, are you okay being the eye candy while your while your partner masturbates or something like that? At least you you can be part of that erotic experience. Um, so, yeah, I think that's all all the thoughts I have on that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any different advice for couples who are self isolating separately right now? Mm, okay. Well, you know, the um, technology certainly helps with that, whether it's, um, you know, webcamming or um, there was this, I'm not sure if it's on the market or not, but this underwear that each partner could wear and the other partner had control of it through, through their iPhone with like and, a vibrator inside or something? Yeah, yeah. And I think they were different uh sensors and it and it and it vibrated and, and I think there's even a version where it gives you tiny little shocks or something. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's all this technology where um your partner can control the toy through the the wireless connection. And um so those are really fun. And, um, you know, maybe texting during the day, little sexy things to each other, um, looking forward to tonight. Um, you know, a lot of the, the military couples, uh, have, have, have become very practiced at this because of deployments. They, they don't always have the access to, to technology depending upon where they are to stay in touch with their, spouses or their partners but it's 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 entirely possible um it's it's not like touching a person for sure um but you can do you can do things like if you have a connection with your partner via phone or web conferencing and it's it's another version or another level of um what am i trying to say phone sex uh, where your partner tells you what to do and you do it to yourself. Touch here, touch there, um, you know, dance for each other, whatever, strip, play strip poker that way, see who <laughs> wins. It's, it's just a, you can get really creative. I yeah. Like yeah. And, and the more fun you can, you can make it, the better. Do you have any advice for single individuals who are isolating alone right now? Um, love yourself, you know, masturbate. I like to call it self-cultivation. You're gardening, you're growing things, and, and that's what you're doing. Um, 
you're also helping your body deal with the, the intangible stress around all this certainty, uncertainty that we're, we're dealing with. So you may not necessarily feel desire to, to masturbate, and that's fine. But just recognize that you still need to um, care for yourself. And, and maybe that looks like taking a nice long bath or a nice long shower. Um, I really like, uh, I'm really into Ayurveda. And there's a practice called Abhyanga, which is self-massage with warm oil. And it's very soothing and you just let the oil soak in and then you take a shower. Um, but something sensual like that, give yourself a manicure. Um, you know, if you find uh, certain things soothing and everybody's different with what they find soothing, whether it's yoga or um, taking one of those uh, foam balls and uh, or those blow up balls and rolling over it. You know, stretch your body, move, go to the park. Um, it's very important that you take care of yourself right now. It's like uh, the collective immunity of humanity is is compromised, and everything you can do to be healthy and and sustain your own immunity is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. In addition to sharing your professional opinion on how people can take care of themselves during COVID-19, you've agreed to answer some personal questions, and I'm very excited. How would you describe your first time or a significant early sexual experience? Okay. Um, my first time, I was 20 years old, and... I was in college and I, I deliberately waited. I, I have been told from the time I was quite young that I was very mature for my age. And, um, I, I knew I wasn't ready for sexual activity until I was 20. And I deliberately chose the partner. I chose him very carefully. Um, and I chose someone who was ironically unavailable. Um, yeah, because I, I just wanted the experience. I didn't necessarily want it to develop into anything else. I was in college having fun, didn't want to get into something committed, but I did want to be with someone who I really liked and respected. And so we had a friendship, but we both knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. And, um, I remember it was in the winter and it was snowing unusual for Texas and I did not have an orgasm, but um, it was kind of like, Oh, that's sex. What's the big deal? I really didn't get it. And I really didn't understand what the big deal was until probably my next partner who was much more concerned about my pleasure than, than the first, the first partner was. What can you tell us about some of your best sexual experiences? Okay. Um, for me, and this isn't everybody, I, I recognize that, my best sexual experiences have taken place within the context of um, a deep emotional connection. I, I was in a committed relationship. At the time, the person was my only partner. 
and um, we were very sexually open, uh, open to, to trying new things. Oh, what about this? And what about that? Or I'm curious about this. We could talk about anything. We could talk about fantasies. And I think that communication, just being able to, to kind of open your basement, if you will, um, to, to your partner. And it, and it doesn't mean, Hey, I had this fantasy. We got to do it. I don't see it that way. It's more like, Oh, I had this fantasy. Isn't that interesting? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And fantasies don't necessarily mean you have to participate in your partner's fantasy. Um, so I felt very extremely erotically comfortable with this person. And so my best sexual experiences were, um, you know, within that context. And I can only describe them as transcendent. It, it For me, when an orgasm is really good, it has a spiritual component to it. I leave my body. Um, I've had that happen. I've seen colors. Um, it, if you've ever done kundalini yoga, they talk about the different chakras and, and how you're trying to raise your energy. And I've done some tantra. That was pretty amazing. Uh, breath work, eye contact, certain positions, the yab yum position where you're, you're straddling your partner's waist with your legs and it lines up the spine and you raise energy together. Ugh, blow your mind. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's not technique. It's, it's just getting in touch with that sexual energy, which is extremely powerful and, and learning how to move it around. Um, I think those were some of the best sexual experiences I had. Wow. Yeah. What have you learned from sex over the course of your life? Okay. I've learned a lot from sex. Um, I think it is extremely important, especially for women, to get to know their own bodies before they have partnered sex. Um, and, and masturbation is the key to that. My mom told me that I used to masturbate in the crib, so... I'm a professional masturbator <laughs> right here. Um, and, and I really think that that helped me kind of jump into partnered sex once I was ready for it. Not that I wasn't doing everything, but before then, um, but it was like, I knew my body and I knew where I like to be touched and stimulated. And, um, I could, I could actually teach my partner. So, Knowing your body, I think, really helps make sex good. Communication, communication, you, you just can't, you just can't pass it up. I, I talked to, I've, I've worked with so many people who are like, well, if, if, if the sex is going to be good, it just happens. You don't have to talk about it. And I'm like, bullshit. I don't believe that. I really think you, you have to talk about it. And, and I give my partner detailed directions. You got to go down on me before you're penetrating me. 
and it needs to be for at least 15 minutes and you know do not mess with my ass i will slap you and <laughs> and when you're going to penetrate me do not pound me right off the bat i need you to stay close to my body i need you to keep your hips right by my pelvis because i'm going to grind into you and that's what gives me pleasure and usually the guys going you know, they're just stunned that, <laughs> that some woman gave them th this detailed direction. I'm like, I'm telling you what works. Here is the map to my body. You know, you don't come with that manual when you're born. You develop it over time with your own knowledge. And but in, imagine the frustration that I saved that that particular partner. Here's what to do and here's what not to do, you know. If, if do not bite me, that, that will not work for me and do not slap me on the ass or whatever, you know. Um, and, and I'm sure everybody has their own story, but I've, I've done that with clients. I will have them if, if a couple is really struggling with communication, I will actually have them give them instructions like if you wrote out what you want to tell your partner, but you're too afraid to say, you know, write it out and give it to me. And then, and then we, we slowly develop a dialogue from that. And, and it's, it's so freeing for them and each partner. And it's not always the woman who struggles to communicate. Sometimes it's the male um, or somebody who's just shy, you know, but it's so freeing. And and the partner is like, oh, thank you. Now I know what to do. Great. You know, I've been in several long distance relationships over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. And I was when I was in high school, they warned us very vigilantly about the dangers of sexting. Um, mm -hmm. And for good reason, because when you're under 18, it is technically child pornography and it's right. very easy to get spread around. But. As an adult in long-distance relationships, much to my surprise, I found that sexting was amazing, doing exactly what you said, literally writing out exactly mm -hmm. what you want, and then realizing, like, whoa, we literally have, like, a playbook to each other now. There you go. Yeah. 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 I think that's really good advice. Playbook. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But back to the question, what makes good sex good? Um, you know, I love the ideas. I don't know if you've seen Esther Perel's TED talk on desire in long term relationships. I haven't seen it. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes. It's wonderful. I use it in my class. Um, she talks about how, you know, when often we want two very different things from the same relationship, we want security and stability and commitment and regularity. Okay. That's the commitment part. And then that's what we, um, we want to have in a relationship. And then we also want mystery and desire and passion and spontaneity. And those two things just butt heads. And, and that's why people struggle so much with desire in long-term relationships because you can get so mired down in all the commitment stuff 
the household, the kids, the jobs, the things you feel like, oh, well, these are have tos that you forget about the wants. Um, I like to think of sex as, and this is part of what makes good sex good. Esther Perel says, you know, sex isn't something you do. It's a place you go. And both partners have to be willing to go there. And I like to call it playtime. You know, it's adult play. You're, you're forgetting about the day. You're being silly and goofy and laughing. You're getting lost there together. But it takes a level of surrender, not to your partner, but to sensations. You have to be open enough and in a way calm enough to go there. And that's one reason why in the midst of, you know, the, the pandemic, so many people are having trouble going there because all this stuff around security is threatened. And, but it's still important to remember that that's a place you can go. We can go there and play. It's sort of like an adult sandbox, you know, just throw things around like a kid, a kid would do roll around in the bed together, pull out the olive oil and have a ball, you know, whatever. Um, and people forget about that. They forget about the joyfulness and the playfulness that's inherently part of sex. And at least for me, that that's what makes good sex really good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have gone through all of the questions I have prepared. Okay. Is there anything else that is coming to mind that you would like to share with the listeners? Hmm. Goodness. I can't think of anything. Um, I guess just, just remember that it's okay to take a break from sex if you feel like you're, you're just not in that headspace right now. Um, but remember, if you're not doing something erotically with your partner, to do something that's sensual or affectionate, it's still on the spectrum of touch. And, you know, just walking by your partner and touching them gently on the back or taking their hand and even telling them, you know, I'm, things are so freaky right now, but I know we'll get back to each other soon. You know, a reminder that I want to be in that space with you. I want to go back to the sandbox with you <laughs> and we'll get there, but it's just not happening right now. So, and, and sometimes a, a break from sex can, can make it all the more exciting the next time it happens. That's a really good perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, Kay, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a fount of knowledge and I know that my listeners will be very excited to hear from you. No, oh, thank you. Awesome. Well, take care of yourself and have a enjoy this rainy, peaceful afternoon. I will. I will. You Bye. too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which was hosted and produced by me, Robin Wheelock. Our theme music was produced by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow The Peak on Facebook, 
or on Twitter and Instagram at listen to the peak. For more information, visit us at thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you want to support The Peak, you can make a contribution to our Coffee, Venmo, or PayPal accounts so that we can make better and more frequent episodes for you. You can also support us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or wherever it is you listen. Thank you.